0: This episode is brought to you by Flux Protocol. The contents of this podcast are for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal, investment, tax, financial, or other advice. For our full terms and conditions, please visit fluxprotocol.org. Welcome to Bear Builders, a conversation series brought to you by Flux Protocol. My name is Sanya, and I'll be your host. What exactly is Bear Builders? When a bull market ends and a bear takes over, the world of decentralized finance goes from a place of opportunity and optimism to a Hunger Games, where the strongest, most capable tend to survive. Projects with little runway are likely to fall, and projects we once deemed successful may not be as reliable as we thought they were. But some will make it through the winter. Some will turn to bear building to survive. These are the individuals Flux's Bear Builders series will focus on, We will highlight people in the space and what they're doing to make it through this bear. We'll share Alpha on how teams building in this market can improve the way they run operations, come up with a seriously awesome battle plan, and create a product with real-life value. We'll also share insights into how the space is going to evolve and where we are headed. But more importantly, Bear Builders will focus on bringing people and projects' origin stories to light. We want to share the inspirations, struggles, challenges, and setbacks builders have been through while working in this industry. What kept them going through the hard times? Where do they see this industry headed? How do we ensure we survive this bear? Welcome to part two of our special multi-part bear builder series, where we learn more about the humans behind Flux Protocol and how they got into the industry. Today's episode is with the Flux ecosystem team, which I'm also a part of. Not to get too mushy, but man, do I love my Flux family. This is by far the best team I've ever worked with, and I'm so happy to be here. But let's get into it. Uh, Before we begin, I wanna do a quick round of introductions. I have the whole ecosystem team here with me. Uh, So just tell me your name, where you're currently based, and what you do at Flux.
1: I am Jack. I am currently based in Colorado, and I am head of integrations with Flux. I'm
2: Peter, CEO of Flux and co-founder, and I'm currently based in Europe. Hi, I'm Edward. I'm uh, the CFO at Flux, and I'm based in Switzerland. Stefan, doing BD at Flux, based in Berlin, Germany.
0: Hello, and thank you, Sonia. I'm Megan. I'm based in Portland, Oregon, and I'm the chief of staff at Flux. Awesome. We've got a very uh, distributed team here. So, So how did you guys end up at Flux? I'd love to know the backstory.
1: I was doing a job uh, as a software developer in Amsterdam and I met Jasper at a party and he sounded like he really knew what he was talking about in this bustling new space. Uh, so I had him over for dinner and we had a great conversation and uh, yeah, after a, a couple weeks of doing some some testing and, and learning the the field with him, uh, he brought me on as a software developer and that was about uh, a year and a half ago.
3: Very cool. Yeah, so I started uh, a couple different companies in crypto leading up to Flux, and um, yeah, we recorded the first episode of The Bear Builders by co-founder Jasper and I, and now um, you can go listen to that live if you'd like.
2: Um, yeah, I used to um, advise various crypto ventures as a lawyer in Switzerland, and this is how I met uh, Peter and Jasper uh, two or three years ago, and um, I was so appealed by their project that they'll eventually, eventually uh, jump ship and uh, join them uh, with Flux.
0: I've been following Peter and Jasper's work since the beginning of Flux and have always been inspired by their innovation to improve and challenge the space. I joined Flux last October, which is hard to believe it's been a year, um, but I started off as their executive assistant and in July began as their chief of staff. Very cool. It sounds like you know a, a lot of different backgrounds and lots of different places as well very typical of a crypto company i feel but i'd love to know more about what are the best what are the best things about working remotely and what are some of the not so great things and you can be specific about flux as well
4: for me i had a very typical covid quitter scenario going on where i quit my job in a scale up in the mobility sector Um, Because I was really obsessed with crypto already for a long time and uh, started talking to Peter online about NFTs. That's how we got the conversation started and uh, eventually joined Flux.
0: Since joining the team, I can honestly say I've never
3: worked with such an amazing crew in my life. We're all remote, which takes dedication and constant improving of communication. But we're a highly motivated team and incredibly passionate about the work that we do.
1: Yeah. So, um, working remotely can be pretty difficult. Uh, like I, I think, I mean, I've been traveling around a lot the past year and finding a routine in all the different places, whether it's, uh, in the States or, uh, like six hours ahead of, of central Eastern time, it's, it's tough to get into a rhythm, but if you can find that rhythm and create a ritual every day, uh, and you have a good workspace, that's, that's quiet focus, good headphones to, cut out all the noise and distractions, uh, you can definitely make it a lot easier. Um, in terms of talking with the team, uh, we make an, a real effort to synchronize uh, every afternoon central eastern time so we can include everybody from you, Sonia, all the way in India, all the way to uh, John in, in engineering, all the way in California. So yeah, being able to, to have some overlap to synchronize is also super important to the operation.
0: Yeah. And Jack, you and I have talked about this before, about how like traveling when, when, when you're traveling so much, it can be really hard to have like the work life balance and like get things done. But I, I definitely want to learn more about what were some of the things that made it easier for you or helped you to kind of strike a balance, you know, from the day to day when you're in like all these amazing places, because that was something I struggled with for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it's, it's, it's something I learned in the past, uh, like three months really. Uh, but, but just as long as you have a ritual, it doesn't really matter what time zone you're in. As long as you can stick to that ritual, uh, it's much easier to, to, to maintain your habits and, uh, be productive. Um, but if, if you use a new place and you get distracted by the place, you can very easily deviate from that ritual. And it's much more difficult to get work done um so yeah i think as long as you have you you know yourself and you know how to get all your work done and you know to get exercise and eat healthy and get a good night's sleep you can you can work from pretty much anywhere what about you sonia
0: (laughs) me um yeah i think i think the ritual thing is definitely true uh i think that it doesn't really matter like what time I I personally don't think that it really matters like what time you wake up and like begin your day, but more that you're getting eight hours of sleep every night and you have some sort of routine that you follow. Because I think like I personally, I'm the kind of person that needs to, I like to plan my day out. And in order to plan your day, you need to have some semblance of like structure. And there are certain things that you want to get done every single day. So for me personally, like that has been, that has worked, having some sort of routine and planning. And then with the time zones, I guess like, I've been working in different time zones like for a really long time, so I've, I've gotten used to it. There's, there's pros and cons right, of, of both things, but I've, I found a way to make it work, and I don't know. It's, it's been good. I, I like the remote aspect of, of working in the space.
1: Yeah, you have a lot of freedom, and uh, we really appreciate that freedom, but it comes with a lot of responsibility as well. When
3: Jasper and I first started working together, we were in one office in Hamburg and um, it was super easy. We lived like five minutes down the road from each other. We didn't have a very long commute. It was about 12 minutes into the office. And so, um, you know, I I saw Jasper more than I saw my own girlfriend at the time, I think for Jasper as well. And uh, when COVID happened, he moved back to Amsterdam and it made definitely the situation more challenging, right? And so we were super lucky that we already had Worked together for a couple of years before we had to go remote, because when you're building a founder relationship, it's super important that you have like a trust established between the two founders. That's very hard to create in a remote setting. Building up a fully distributed team, you know, we also began our hiring. You know, we raised our round of funding during the the sort of lockdowns, right? And so, all of our investor meetings, all of our sort of communications, all of our hiring happened. You know, through Twitter, through recruiters, through um, LinkedIn, etc. And so it's quite the challenge to build relationships with your team early on when you're basically hiring through a screen, right? And so um, it's definitely a challenge, but if you do hire a distributed team, you have the benefit of a ton of different diverse cultures and people um, around the world. And you create a team that can really work well in a lot of different environments, which I think is a strength, especially in crypto, to be able to be adaptable. Um, but you know what we're doing right now at this offsite is coming together and having time to work at the same time, um, the same place, and that's also a super valuable um, thing to have. And so I think um, there's definitely pros and cons having a distributed team. You know, you're on different time zones; it's hard to connect. It's hard to get everyone on a call at the same time. Um, but it also has its pros, where you know, as an example for our engineering team. We have our resources spread across a lot of different time zones, which means that we can be online and available if anything goes wrong and keep uptime really high. And so, yeah, it's all just sort of a, a check and balance of hiring out the right people at the right times in the right places.
0: Absolutely. And I think that that's a really good point that you made about the hiring. It's It can be really, really tough. And I think like being on the other side of the screen as well, being the person that's trying to look for work and, and like trying to figure out what's the best company to work for it can be a challenge and I think it's kind of, it does feel a little bit more, you know, I think I think it's always a gamble when you start somewhere new because you don't ever fully know how the team is going to be. But I think having to do that, getting to know someone like through a screen, it can be really tough. But I'm also really grateful for our in-person interactions as well, Peter. Like I think, I think we've definitely been able to like have some, you know, group meetups at conferences and right now as well at the off-site. So I think having that face to face communication once in a while is is really key.
3: Yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah, so for me, it was a, a big change of environment uh, working from a, a law firm in um, in one country where, you know, in the law industry, things typically happen at the happen at the national level uh, and now changing to this uh, extremely diverse and international environment. Um, Regarding the team, of course, uh, we all miss uh, all the time. We don't, we can't spend Facetime uh, face time with all these uh, wonderful uh, team members. Uh, on the other hand, of course, it allows us to hire the, the best people wherever they are. And um, that's, that's fantastic. Of course, it's very enriching as well. It's uh, you know, we get ideas from all over the world. And from a, as a CFO, as from a legal and financial viewpoint, it means that you have to work across many different jurisdictions, be it being with the team members of, or with partners or counterparties. And that's a, a very unique uh, challenge, mm-hmm. certainly for a, for a startup of our size. For sure. I, I think for me, it's, um,
4: it wasn't that big of a change because I had already transitioned into that setup basically during COVID and fully, went fully remote. Um, as other people have said, I think it requires a lot of discipline and it also changes a couple of things, especially on the business development side, such as not having the um, opportunity to be face-to-face to people, to build that personal connection, to build the trust.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a really good point. I want to I want to talk a little bit more about We um, Too, because obviously that's like, huge and it's what we've been we've had our heads down working on for the past couple of months so peter can you talk to us a little bit in in, in the last bear builders episode we talked about uh the engineering side of of v2 but i really want to learn more about the business side can you talk to us a little bit about what that's going to look like and what is this upgrade going to mean for the way that we run our business
3: yeah, so with version two, maybe it's good to talk about version one for a second. So when we first launched into the market, we saw an opportunity that a lot of these new networks, L1s and L2s like Near, Evmos, Aurora, etc. They didn't have access to a high quality Oracle or an Oracle at all. And so what we realized is that while we were building out this really cool uh, sort of, you know, base layer for data that's multi-chain uh, by default, we realized that what we could do is actually capture a ton of value um, for our business by actually building you know, a version of this first-party Oracle first, um, which is very similar to what exists in the market with other Oracles today. So there wasn't anything sort of game-changing on the technology side. But you know, through this experiment that we basically ran with this traction, um, about you know, eight weeks after we launched this you know, product to the market, we were able to grow it from you know, zero in total value secured with no integrations to a little bit over 3.5 billion in value um, in just under eight weeks, right? And so our team was inundated by a ton of traction um, and a ton of usage of our Oracle and a ton of value that we were securing. Now on the business side, this caused you know, a lot of things to break because we needed to make sure that you know, one, the Oracle was secure. Um, but two, that we also were able to continue building what our true vision was, is this decentralized data layer. Um, and so right now, the first-party Oracle doesn't exist. It doesn't um, require any payment from projects, so we subsidize that. And we work directly with data providers, to provide data on chain. Um, with version two, the dynamic actually really changes where our token is used... As a access uh, to the, the Oracle itself. And so in the future, when we deploy version two of our protocol, it will mean that any protocol across any chain, so that could be Ethereum, Near, Solana, Cosmos, et cetera, they'll actually buy our FLX token and they'll burn it in order to receive data. So every time they request a data feed, they're actually burning FLX. Um, so this is a very interesting dynamic where the token um, could in fact actually become deflationary over time. On the other side, validators will be able to stake this token um, and they'll either be able to stake to run a main chain validator, which means that they'll be basically confirming blocks on the main chain or they'll be able to stake and run a subchain validator, which means they'll be pushing data across the different sub which are, you know, networks like Ethereum, near Solana, Cosmos, et cetera. And so there's a lot more usage of our token within the network and it allows for validators to passively earn uh, income by securing the network from the token. And it also allows um, you know there to be more pressure on the token and ecosystem by protocols purchasing and burning the token. So our protocol really goes from a state right now where everything's incentivized, and we're essentially using the the classic startup playbook, which is to pay for adoption, right and 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 pay to have. Market share and expand quickly to going to a model where our protocol is being paid for um, and the economics start to turn on, where our protocol becomes revenue generating for stakeholders that secure the network. Um, So, in the end, what will change for V2 is that we're going to be generating a lot more value. And if we are correct with our vision, it means that the majority of um, crypto will essentially be running on flux as a data layer under the hood which means that we'll be securing most of the protocols that require data in web3 today
0: That is very cool Sounds like a sounds like a very ambitious plan and I'm excited to see how it plays out So Stefan I have a question for you 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 had business development stuff at Flux What does your day-to-day typically look like you know besides sitting on calls where you're the only person with your video turned on what would you say um, are some of the things that you you know do on a jet gen- on a daily basis? And what are some of Flux's priorities right now in the BD sector? Do you see them changing with the V2 launch?
4: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think fundamentally my role is to bring what we're building to market and to grow the flux ecosystem and in a longer-term perspective also to help drive the, the organization from a project to a revenue generating company. Um, and that encompasses a, a very broad range of things that also change basically basically on a weekly basis, such as researching the, the crypto space for new products or players and trends, and really trying to connect the dots between what we're building, what's out there, what might be out there and and how people and teams and projects will benefit from what we're building?
0: Is there some sort of criteria to evaluate you know how whether it's worth integrating with a protocol or whether it's worth engaging with with like another company?
4: Yeah, so, so I think a general uh, theme that that we have in our team is that we try to um, work in a sustainable way. Um, trying to go for the the most promising and the highest quality uh, partners, I think. So we'd rather take a little bit more time, build something that is mutually beneficial for the for the long term with a high um, reputation and company or or a protocol that has already had had a lot of success in in the past. Um, and on the ecosystem side, we work with protocols. We work with data companies. We work with um, data providers. Um, yeah. So I don't know what the question was <laughs> I don't remember.
0: <laughs> no, I think, I think, I think you answered it. Uh, I was just curious to know what are some of the factors that we look for uh, or qualities that we look for um, in companies that we want to, you know, potentially integrate with, or like, like you know protocols that we want to potentially integrate with
4: yeah we we also approach it um as like a bet on on future ecosystems or teams and the good thing is that because um some of us and including uh Peter and Jasper have been in the space also for su- such a long time that we have a really um nice and uh, supportive and broad uh, network in the crypto industry um, that helps us a lot to also identify the very promising uh, projects, teams, and even like individuals that we want to align our um, team with in the long run. And that's where we try to to build partnerships.
0: Absolutely. Jack, actually, on that note, I want to learn more about your role as well. Uh, what does head of integrations mean exactly? And are you sort of like a liaison between the ecosystem and engineering teams?
1: Yeah, so given my experience in software development and smart contracts engineering, I know how to talk to engineers and founders with a technical background to answer a lot of the questions they have. I would say if, like in, in a regular uh, in another business, I would be kind of like an account manager, right? So I would I would see to it that uh, companies or protocols, in this case, will be able to uh, build their solution using our solution. I uh, help address any concerns they have over uh, security or how we implement our, our price feeds, for example, with with the first party Oracle, um, and make sure that. Uh, they continuously have what they need so that they can uh, properly function as a protocol themselves.
0: Interesting. So then how do you and and Stefan work together?
1: I'll join Stefan for some of the the calls that he already knows are going to be a lot more technical um, and then answer all of the the, the lower level questions that these founders or the engineers that may be on these calls have. Um, And for some of the... Uh, technical aspects of the, the business development, like when we're looking for new use cases, uh, or new protocols to integrate with. Uh, I'll do more of a deep dive into some of the the code and the documentation of these protocols to see if we're actually a, a proper fit for each other.
0: What does a proper fit mean exactly? Yes,
1: yeah, so, I mean, with, with the first party Oracle, we had a lot of uh, uh, individual price feeds, right? If there's a continuous specific value that we need to get from one place for instance our da- from our data providers um, and send to a certain chain where like near or Aurora um, I would I would look into whatever the data request is that the new protocol may have whether it's a price feed or some kind of volatility uh, data. And then I would actually I would go into the the, the data providers code base their, their API I would see if they have the data that we need and then I will let the the uh, the protocol know if if we can provide it and how it can be provided also would answer questions that the protocol might have about uh, how often they need the data um, like if they if they need the data pushed every minute or upon an update or, uh, within a deviation of 0.5% or so, for example. So yeah, just th- there's a lot of nuances. It's not necessarily a cut and dry, like we'll just send the data every five minutes. Um, so yeah, just d- diving more into the the technical details of what the protocol actually needs and seeing if we can address them.
4: Sonia, another thing that I wanted to add on the uh, business development side is I think that makes us stand out to a lot of um, other I think um, teams in the space is that we say no to a lot of things. Um, for those listening who are familiar or who work also on the on the BD side in crypto, um, they will probably um, understand this, but we and I get at least 10, 15, 20 requests for different things every day, be it about some marketing uh, partnership or pump and dump, um, schemes and all these things we say no to all these things all the time. And, um, I think that really also emphasizes that we, we see this as a marathon, as an endurance race. We want to build something that is sustainable and organic and that really brings value. And I think that's something that we've talked a lot also, um, about here and at the offside is that we we don't want to go for the next trend in crypto. We, we, don't, we didn't do that in the past, and um, I think we won't do it in the future, but we'd much rather build something that um, um, grows sustainably in the long term and really adds value and, and makes a difference.
0: And I think like beyond that, also, it, I think we're also trying to be ethical, right? At the end of the day, we don't want to be like one of those protocols that just like shills product for no reason or engages in pump and dump schemes.
1: Yeah, like if we're not getting um, good feedback or have you know a good feeling about a protocol, uh, they're they're free to use our price feeds, right? We we don't permission them even for the FPO, but we won't uh, like actively support them or yeah, like put out announcements to 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 help them out. Um, but for yeah, for, for protocols that we really see a lot of value in and would like to be working with us uh, for, for the long term, we provide as much uh, good treatment and white glove treatment as possible.
0: So, Edward, you have an, an extensive background in Switzerland pushing the conversation forward for matters in and around crypto. Can you talk to us a little bit more about your experience?
2: So Switzerland managed to attract a number early on an, a number of very interesting uh, crypto projects. It did so by by very quickly having a a quite precise and and, and quite understandable regulatory landscape, which helped us lawyers to uh, give advice to clients. And uh, thanks to this, um, I have been with my colleagues uh, very soon um, involved in in many of these projects. And it's in this frame that um, I met with Peter and Jasper and that we... uh, Uh, together decided to set up the Open Oracle Association um, in Switzerland, uh, which is a a non-profit association supporting the development of uh, decentralized data-driven oracles, in particular the Flux Oracle, and any connected tools and technologies uh, designed to bring off-chain data on-chain. And uh, still today, uh, uh, Switzerland is um one of the very good places in the world to to base your crypto projects because um the regulatory environment is is favorable uh, our regulators um understand uh, this field very well and they're easy to deal with so that's that's one of the few reasons why switzerland is quite attractive
0: is there a lot of crypto development um happening in switzerland and you know on a more personal note do you know a lot of people pr- whether they're professional colleagues or friends that are also interested in the crypto space
2: yeah thank you sonia that's a that's a very good question actually i've been foc- as you know as a lawyer i've been focusing on on the legal matters but actually um, and that's very important. Uh, we also have uh, two very good universities in Switzerland that attract a lot of talent, and of which uh, there's a lot of spin off, in particular in the crypto and the blockchain space. In Zurich, there's a buoyant um, uh, crypto scene uh, with many very dynamic startups. And it's, it's this mix of, of different talents that are brought together and of entrepreneurial mood and, and attitude in Switzerland that, that makes that scene so exciting there.
0: Absolutely. It's really, really interesting. I think we're moving towards the end. So Peter, I have one last question for you. Might be a tough question. I don't know. We've been, we've been doing a lot of um, reflection on this offsite. And I know this is kind of top of the mind right now for a lot of us. But what are some things that you think our team does really well? And what are some things that we you know, need to need to focus more on for the next few months?
3: So going back to building a team in a fully distributed manner, um, one of the hardest things to get right is communication. Um, so it's hard to get everyone on calls at the same time because of time zone issues and you, you just also miss a lot of the opportunities that you'd have to uh catch up with different people. Um you know, around the team or on different topics that you normally wouldn't discuss. And so um, one thing that we've been trying to do more often is something that we call walk-in talks, which are essentially 15-minute random meetings um, every Wednesday where different members of the team essentially get matched up with each other. And it gives an opportunity for people on the team that normally wouldn't have a chance to meet, uh, talk, or just really, you know, connect randomly with um, the opportunity to talk and sort of catch up on, Different parts of the company that they're not normally focused on, and so I think communication is one of the biggest things that we you know have struggled with as a remote team as we've built and scaled you know fairly quickly, um, and it's something that we you know have done a much better job at um, over the past few months than in the past. Um, so I think that's that's probably one of the biggest challenges um, that we face, um, and it's also you know one of the largest cons of of a remote team. Um, <clears throat> things that we do really well is that we're all sort of strapped in for the long-term vision of not only uh, crypto, but also, you know, what we're building with Flux. And so I think that um, it's pretty rare for a team to be so focused on what needs to happen and and sort of the task at hand. Um, I think a lot of teams in crypto struggle with focus. And because a lot of our team either were following crypto in the last bear market and sort of understand the dynamics or worked in the last bear market, They know that um, it's important to stay focused no matter what sort of the market environment is and the best companies are built during um, bear markets. And so we're very lucky to have raised enough money um, in the bull market to sustain ourselves and continue growing and uh, really execute well on our product. Um, And so, you know, I think our our biggest sort of strength as a team right now is just building past the noise and executing on our vision uh, relentlessly.
0: For sure. Thank you so much, all of you, for coming on. I'm really excited to see how this goes and excited for V2 as well.
1: Thank you very much, Sonia. Thank
3: you, Sonia. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Bear Builders. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support Bear Builders, please share it with everyone you know and leave us a rating and review. To keep up on all things Flux, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Flux Protocol or visit our website at fluxprotocol.org.